0: G'day and welcome to Shattered, the podcast. It's by a sufferer for sufferers and also for those that would like to know what it's like to live with a mental illness. It is my absolute pleasure to welcome to Shattered, the podcast, a man that we've been trying to chat to for a long time and I'm so grateful to have him. It's John Evans. He is the CEO, co-founder of Inovatel telepsychiatry. John, g'day mate, how are you today?
1: I'm great and it's very good to be with you and really pleased that we were able to connect.
0: Now mate, we need to dive in because Inovatel telepsychiatry, can you give us an idea of what it is and what it is that you do?
1: Happy to. So Inovatel was founded in 2014 by a group of clinicians, one of whom is myself. Uh, Historically, we all worked in the community mental health center system uh, in the country, uh, providing care to mostly individuals with serious mental illness. Mm -hmm. Uh, I happened to be prior to that, the the founding CEO of the first freestanding community mental health center in the region that I live in, Northwest Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. That organization was actually funded to systematically downsize the state hospital. So the first 200 patients we welcomed to our clinic, that was back in um, in the early 90s. Uh, those individuals had an average length of stay at the hospital, if you can imagine, of eight to 10 years. So wow. they were very uh, impacted by their illness. And our agreement in this um, in the funding was, is that once we received those individuals, that bed would be capped and closed behind them, never to be opened again. Oh, And so actually that project worked quite well and it worked well because it was adequately funded with enough psychiatric time and the newer medications and other supports that a majority of those individuals did quite well. And it's real nice they were able to return permanently to their home community
0: yeah which so is that, the long term goal of any uh uh the long term goal of any uh, uh I, I guess uh medical uh mental health intervention
1: absolutely so what's what's really encouraging is the language in our field has actually changed since that time where we used to talk about stabilization
0: mm-hmm.
1: now we actually talk about with the more serious mental illnesses recovery and resilience. So it is possible, quite frankly, to fully recover from a serious mental illness,
0: which is amazing when you think that a, a a mental illness is not going to go away. So that, but they can recover and be resilient. Those, those words are very powerful.
1: They are, and it, and uh, it, what's really encouraging in our career is that we see that happen every day now. So that the bottom line is treatment is effective treatment works
0: now let's talk about a uh, novatel one of the big things that your uh, your company yourself you you talk about is getting uh, adequate mental health care when it's actually needed can you expand on that Correct. a little bit for us absolutely so
1: in as i mentioned in 2014 myself and a number of the Uh, other clinical colleagues uh, founded the company. Uh, We funded it with our own money because we saw this continued growing need, not just in um, Pennsylvania, but across the country for just getting into care. I would get calls every week, not only from our own region, but across Pennsylvania and elsewhere saying, I've got a friend, I've got a family member, we can't get them into care. Now, prior to that, we did a small grant with SAMHSA that uh, uh, helped us get some experience with telepsychiatry, do a consultation model, and we found out it was fairly effective. So like other organizations in our region, we had a really difficult time recruiting and retaining psychiatrists. I mean, we live up on the, uh, the shores of Lake Erie. For four to five months a year, it snows sideways. That's pretty cold. So if you can live anywhere in the country, you may not pick this region to, to settle down in we found this to be a, the most effective solution to that problem. And in talking with other colleagues in various statewide and national associations, they had the same problem. So we founded this company with the goal of solving the issue of access to mental health care.
0: Yeah. And so you were talking you, about they, the, Sorry, you were talking about the difficulty sorry. of uh, getting psychologists, psychiatrists, why do you think mm-hmm. that's such a major issue? Because it's 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 a worldwide issue, as far as I I I believe. Why do you think it's so hard? Uh, have we lost a generation of psychiatrists because it didn't seem like an attractive career? Or well, what's your thoughts on that? I, I think there are a
1: number of factors. I think what you mentioned is one. So if you think about a student going to medical school and then at the end of that. Uh, you know, academic marathon, they need to pick a specialty and do another two years to four years of residency. Um, You know, when they think about that, um, not only what is their interest, but what is the return on that investment, both financially and time-wise? Historically, psychiatry, not only in the U.S., but across the world, was not attractive from that return. So we did get genuinely people that were interested in in the specialty area. That has started to change, thankfully, uh, and and with the advancements also in treatment, it's a lot more encouraging to, again, work with people that progress, um, can become much better, become recover, and be resilient. It's encouraging yeah. to work in that field. There, there were also other dynamics that um, led to that, but there's an, also an increase significantly across the world in demand for mental health care. It's mm-hmm. become, as you probably know, the stigma has started finally to wane. Um, we we now have elite Olympic athletes talking about their own need for help with depression and anxiety, which is real helpful. Mm. If someone can attain that very elite status and achieve that much and still have a need to have some mental health care, that's very helpful for all the rest of us to know it's really quite normal. Mm. So again, our goal is if you think about a, when historically a family or an individual would call and say, I need mental health care, that first call is a difficult call to make. Mm. And so we assume when they make that call, why well, we may think it's somewhat routine. It's that family or that individual's in crisis. Any wait, anytime you say, well, I'll see you in so many weeks or so many months is unacceptable. And data tells us it's unhelpful in regards to positive outcomes. So we have a very bold goal. Our goal is same-day access for everyone. So literally, when you make that call, what we want all of our clinics we partner with is to say, come on down, I'll see you today. Now, I can tell you, we achieved that at the clinic that I was fortunate enough to be founder of in uh, Northwest Pennsylvania. That was Mm -hmm. a traditional brick-and-mortar clinic. And we established a same-day access protocol. And believe me, people came. And we saw very much more positive outcomes as a result
0: of seeing them quickly and efficiently. With the seeing them on the the same day, I'm imagining it. It's like first aid, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Um, somebody mm-hmm. presents; mm-hmm. they're in a they're having a crisis; they're in a critical condition. Early intervention is always best. With combined <laughs> with the difficulty in finding psychiatrists and psychologists and people in that psych world, you were mentioning about how geolocation had a lot to do with it. And I'd love to talk about the success that you've had even in, in increasing your clinicians.
1: Mm-hmm. Real proud to tell you about that. So we, we've we got an unbelievable group of psychologists, uh, psychiatric nurse practitioners, and licensed clinical social workers. So all levels of clinical care are part of our team now. And what's been real helpful is we we recruit them, we, we vet them very carefully, do at least three interviews. When they join our team, we also have customers on the other side of the equation. So mental health centers and other clinics who are really desperate for more clinicians. So I'll, I'll give you a great example. We've got a tremendous child psychiatrist who lives in Kentucky. Mm-hmm. And all of his children that he sees are in rural central Pennsylvania and in cold Minnesota. And he's 40 hours a week. He sees a lot of kids. They love him. They love to see him. He's engaging with them on screen. Uh, kids just love to see their doctor on the screen. And that that access to that very skilled psychiatrist would not be possible without this connectivity that we've established. Yeah. So what so we do is we match very.
0: Oh, go ahead. No, 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 please. You, you are very interested to hear what you're about to say. So we match very skilled clinicians, both
1: general psychiatrists and psychiatrists with specialties into areas where they don't have access to that to ensure access. So Another unique example is we have a, a very uniquely trained forensic psychiatrist. Her, her specialty is working with people with, you know, significant mental health issues that have somehow become uh, involved in the criminal justice system. Right. And that's not uncommon. And so our goal there is how do we help focus that treatment on treatment and recovery versus punishment? So, for example, we have a contract with the whole state of, of Vermont. All the judges in Vermont can refer to our forensic telepsychiatry team saying this, this individual's gotten into a little mischief with the law. Can you please give us advice on treatment versus punishment? And we're thrilled yeah. to do that.
0: Because that's a, a big problem. The criminal justice system is filled with people with mental illness. And if they don't go into the... Uh, criminal justice system with a mental illness, they're probably going to get one sooner or later, it seems. Uh,
1: no question, I, I, on the very surface, it's depressing to be there, of course. So, but if you do have, uh, if an individual does have a serious illness and they go into the criminal justice system without proper treatment, it is not conducive to recovery at all. In fact, it's detrimental.
0: Yeah. Mate, it must be really motivating for your team, all the clinicians, to have this access to this wealth of people that desperately need their help. It must be hugely, of course, it's difficult work, but it must be hugely satisfying and motivating to know that they're having such a broad effect, not just in their local area, but across America.
1: It absolutely is, and again, we've got psychiatrists in all four time zones providing care across the country. Now, we're actually providing care in over thirty states, soon to be fifty. As I mentioned to you, uh, we recently um, were uh, combined our resources with Quartet Health, so we're now part of the Quartet Health team. They are um, essentially a digital platform for access to care. They work mm-hmm. with payers across the country. And we're, we're proud members of the Quartet team now to be their essentially clinical arm. And so together we will, our, our goal is to very quickly and in a short order be a provider in all 50 states so people can access care.
0: Mate, I, I was going to ask a question in a different way, but I want to ask it this way. Mm-hmm. There are people mm-hmm. that when I've mentioned to them about psychiatry, psychology, psychological care, over the internet, mm-hmm. and they've sort of mm-hmm. done the whole, it can never replace face-to-face. Yep. I, I think that your organization is, and others are going a long way to proving that that's not necessarily the case.
1: That's exactly been our experience, and I have to admit, prior to this, I, I've, I've been in the field quite a while, I had the same doubt, so I, it's perfectly understandable, but... Not only through our experience, but the American Psychiatric Association has done a number of research studies, and it indicates that the actual measured outcomes for telepsychiatry are exactly the same as the traditional model. And with the pandemic, it's absolutely saved the day. So I can tell you, like everybody else in the world, <laughs> approximately two years ago, we we did a forty-eight hour pivot. So our our model prior to that is we had Contracts with clinics. So, for example, that psychiatrist in Kentucky, we had a contract with his time for clinic in Pennsylvania and Minnesota. And we would beam into the clinic and see those patients in a treatment room, document Mm -hmm. right on their electronic record, work with their nurses. Basically, the only difference is that the psychiatrist was on a screen, not sitting in in the room, but not sitting in the room. Well, pandemic hit and everybody started to quarantining, we did a real quick pivot. We brought on a new um, uh, software platform, and we started seeing all of those same individuals in their homes, Mm. either on a screen or on a smartphone. Interestingly enough, our patients, as it were, have told us through their behavior, they love this even better because the no-show rate for ongoing appointments dropped from around 25% to below five.
0: Yeah. Well, there's so many reasons that people would, say, pick up a call rather than mm-hmm. present to an office. Uh, just getting to an office can be a, a, a struggle for some people. Now, th- th- there's, there's so much of what we're talking that I'd love to unpack, but I know that your time is sure. precious. So I'm I'm disciplining myself to, to um, stay on path. Uh, I want to ask about you and your qualifications. You are, uh, uh, and I I want to let you explain it to people. You are an expert in your field.
1: Uh, I I have some good experience. I have to say I've been very fortunate in my career. So my, my actual training is a master's degree in clinical psychology Uh, My first job right out of school, I'm really, it was the best job for training. I worked in the emergency room at a large, busy busy tertiary care hospital. So Mm -hmm. my job there as a clinician was to see, see individuals in a complete emergency, do an assessment, and then immediately determine what was the best option for care right then and there. I did that for 10 years. And then within that hospital system, I was fortunate enough to move up into various administrative positions. Uh, When I left there in the early 90s, as I mentioned, I was director of all inpatient emergency services and outpatient care for adults. So it was a real opportunity for me. I couldn't be more grateful. And then I had the opportunity to be the founding CEO of what's called Safe Harbor Behavioral Health. Um, And again, I told you about the project. One nurse and I that I worked with for my whole career, she's an unbelievable individual. She and I were the first two employees of that clinic. Uh, That clinic grew, not just for people with serious mental illness, but all individuals. When we left there in 2014, we had 7,000 active patients, and we ran the community-wide crisis response team, which was telephone, mobile, and walk-in. So, again, if a person called, we picked up that phone in three rings or less. Mm -hmm. We would determine what that individual need. If they needed a crisis worker to come to their home, we did that they could come in. And then we provided to them what they needed. And then hence, since then, you know, the, the telepsychiatry company, the, the theme throughout all of those opportunities is the same. What we le- what I learned in the emergency room, in the crisis team, in our outpatient clinic, the sooner you can respond to an individual in need of care, the better the outcome. So way back when I was in the emergency room, uh, what was really gratifying work is those individuals all came in significant distress. And just about anything we could offer them was really well received because they just most of what we were able to provide for those individuals was help to reduce their feelings of discomfort and anxiety and depression. Yeah. So it's the same thing throughout
0: yeah i think about my journey i got ptsd from a knife Mm -hmm. attack it was then diagnosed as cptsd because i'd been working in Mm -hmm. disability sector for 20 years as a behavior management specialist so i Mm -hmm. was always working with the most violent clients so and was suffering Uh, uh. trauma throughout those those years and not even recognizing it but the the weight to try and get help, um, to find then a psychiatrist, psychologist that matched with me, that uh could the the, the weight was horrible and it's probably the the my worst memory after being mm-hmm. hurt, just this constant mm-hmm. challenge to try and get seen by someone, anyone. It, uh exactly. taking that away is uh would be incredible now you'd uh a big so i'm just curious of, though yep
1: if if you don't mind sharing, could you share maybe the the things you remember most that were most difficult about that weight
0: um it was the trying to get confirmation that something was actually wrong with me it was mm-hmm. I hadn't had the ability to learn how to express or even understand what i was feeling so Mm -hmm. i knew that i was broken i knew that something was terribly terribly wrong but i didn't know what it was i didn't know if i was making it up um Mm -hmm. and then uh, to compound the problem i saw two or three psychologists who were just an absolute not fit for me. One was uh, uh-huh. it was somebody that was working with veterans, um, and uh-huh. that's something that people have always asked me. Oh, you PTSD? You must be a veteran. It's like, well, no, I'm not actually. Um, my triggers, my 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 problems are very very different from what a veteran has. Uh, my brother, uh-huh. a veteran of four tours of Afghanistan, he has PTSD. Uh-huh. So while I can uh-huh. understand what he's going through the experience is very very different uh yeah, and lastly exactly. was the damage that one of those uh psychologists did he did this edmi mm. treatment which was this uh, thing uh-huh. it's a visual thing where they do something in uh-huh. front of your eyes and uh this guy did that and i ended up standing on the couch with my fist raised screaming because it was yeah, just an inappropriate yeah. um, treatment at an inappropriate time. So, uh, yeah, there were a number of issues that I faced. But, again, this is going back 15 years. So um, a but lot But you make another changed.
1: excellent point. Mm-hmm. Listen, I appreciate your willingness to share that, but that you make another excellent point. It's not just timely access to care. It's connecting with the right clinician for your need. Mm. Uh, can make a huge difference and that's a perfect point that you make and it sounds like you finally did find somebody but yeah it's so we do that as well yep
0: well you talked about how hard you work to match people you don't just take the first cab off the rank maybe you would for that first time emergency Mm -hmm. triage situation but It seems like your entire goal would be to say, uh, perhaps if it's a young man and it's an older clinician, female, she might say, okay, great. Here's what we can do to triage you for today, get you safe. Now I'm going to connect you with somebody that's potentially more compatible, more appropriate. Is that a correct assumption?
1: That's exactly it. So that the purpose of the emergency triage, uh, the clinician's job is to listen intently and listen to the story. Uh, and it's not treatment. It's to get a best understanding as of what is that individual's need. And then you connect, you match. So mm. it's, you're absolutely right about that. And mm. a good, a good clinician knows how to do that.
0: Now I want to get back to what I was trying to get to before you, you're- yeah literature raises some incredible statistics for people with living with mental health that are in rural areas. Mm -hmm. I I wonder Mm -hmm. if you just expand on that for, for everybody today.
1: Sure. And I did, I looked up some new data, so I'll just share some overview and then happy to, to answer questions, but certainly um, uh, 2020 and 2021 were, um, Challenging years for everybody, whether you had a predetermined uh, emotional illness or not, uh, everybody's feeling it in many different ways, some more intense than others. So, just some 2020 data that might be of interest is uh, just an increase of 24% of emergency room visits. This is specific to children, of 24% for children ages 5 to 11, for children 12 to 17, a 30% increase in. Those, uh, children entering the emergency rooms across the country for mental health needs, a significant increase. And that's mm-hmm. in 2020. We don't have the 2021 data yet. Yeah. Then uh, another data piece, 96% of psychologists said the use of telehealth during the pandemic has increased. 93% will continue to use that. Probably the most, um, broad statistic is from McKinsey, which is one of the, um, uh, Kind of top level um, uh, associations for getting data regarding healthcare in the country. Uh, Pre pandemic, nationally, um, the data was one in every five Americans during any given year would have a need for mental health care. The last two years, it's been one in three, so that's millions more people. Yeah, without a significant increase in clinicians available to do that, so the only way. Well, I would, let me rephrase that. One of the more fundamental ways to deal with that increase is through tele, across the board. Teletherapy, telepsychiatry, matching clinicians nationally with the clinician that's going to best suit their needs. So some rural data is really concerned. So uh, specifically in rural areas uh, versus urban um, so in, uh, in urban areas, um, the 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 percentage of individuals that have ac- access to mental health care again this is twenty twenty not twenty one yet was twelve per hundred thousand in rural areas it's twenty per one hundred thousand so almost double mm. for men it's even more concerning uh, in in rural areas men are not only um, more um, in need of care, their rate of suicidal ideation is much higher. So 21% in urban areas. For men in rural areas, it's over 30%. So hmm. a significant difference in the need. And if you think about the geography of rural areas, it's much more challenging. We have patients and families pre telepsychiatry would have to drive anywhere from an hour to three hours one way for, a, for an appointment and we've been able to resolve that quite quite efficiently yeah um so it's I, I it's mean, just a, a fundamental answer to the problem
0: yeah uh i mentioned before the interview that i spoke to an australian company that was doing the same thing and they they said that the when this particular person they didn't name goes to town once a month to resupply he jumps on the phone and he and he has his um Treatment appointment, so he goes to town for for food, for gas, for for, and to get his mental health checked. But when he's in crisis, he actually his wife sent a photo of him standing on a tractor out in the back paddock, holding the mobile phone in front of his face, getting care for his mental health uh, in an emergency situation. Just that idea that somebody uh, in crisis would go to such lengths but at the same time Mm -hmm. such a joy that he was able to access that care which wouldn't have been Mm -hmm. available in that face-to-face model it would have been uh, the I was told it was a six-hour drive for this guy just to get to the yeah. town, where there wasn't even yeah. a local doctor. The rural flying doctor service had to come into that town. Oh my gosh! Um, yeah, yeah, it was like a market day when the when the medical services came to town. Now it's I I, I don't like when people harp on about suicide statistics because it's only one small mm-hmm. part of the mental mm-hmm. yes. health problem. But I understand there's been a significant increase in suicide in rural areas as well.
1: Cool. It, that's very true. I, I think the data I've read is increased anywhere from twelve to twenty yeah. percent, and it's a real concern. Of course, all suicide is preventable. That's our motto. We, you know, there's a national goal of zero suicides, mm-hmm. so that the, I have to say. Uh, Fortunately, the the federal government has recognized that, and they're they're about to establish a national nine eight eight number, which is a suicide hotline. There is a na- national suicide hotline already, but this will make it, of course, much simpler. It's not an eight hundred number; it's just nine eight eight. And we strongly encourage people to call that. Again, uh, I, I can't emphasize enough: treatment works; it's effective. So, so if you have those feelings, call that number.
0: Okay. One of the great impediments to people seeking uh, psychological help is cost as well, Um, just the cost, uh, the the associated things. How do you guys assist in that sphere? Because I know that for people in rural areas, cost can be a massive uh, uh, hindrance.
1: It absolutely is. So uh, I can tell you at the clinic that I was founder of in Northwest Pennsylvania, and most of the, cl- if not all the clinics we work with will see anybody regardless of coverage or our ability to pay. That's our mission. Now, with that said, there's an urgent need to properly fund clinics. Um, we struggled for the 20 years I ran that clinic, we struggled every year to make the budget balance. Again, there's been significant infusion of dollars into the public mental health system the past two years. It's a system called the Certified Community Mental Health Center system. So the federal government has really put billions of dollars nationally into these clinics. And there are certain criteria to become certified as a certified community mental health center. And we're partnered with a number of them. And interestingly enough, one of the key requirements of many to become certified is same day access. Mm. So we're thrilled to be part of that. We're looking yeah. to continue to be part of it. We've, I, a, a, a story I can, I'm real proud to share, with is we work with a clinic in rural Minnesota that was so busy, they didn't have enough clinical staff to even keep their routine intake open, and they had actually closed it. We have since partnered with them over the last two years. We're a large part now. We actually have more of our staff there than they do of their own, and they now have same-day access to care. They completely open their front door. No delays. It's absolutely the goal we wanted to hit. And again, we want to do that everywhere we can.
0: I mean these these the the results that you're showing are nothing short of miraculous. I mean, I I hate to use that word, but the 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 outcomes are so incredible that you would think that the government would be throwing money at yourself and organizations like you to make this uh, more available to people? Yeah,
1: to be fair, they are. The, the process has started, so I want to give you know good credit. However, because of dec- decades of uh, lack of funding, we have a lot of work to do. But yeah. th- the encouraging news is the trends are going exactly the way they should be. I can't say enough about that. So we're getting there, but we've got a lot more work to do, believe me.
0: Now, your partnership with, and forgive me, like you, I'm not young anymore, so it slipped my mind. (laughs) Your partnership that you've just done in the last couple of weeks will go a long way to help you expand your work?
1: Absolutely. So Quartet Health is is just a tremendous organization. We we talked to them for over six months. And this is more the exciting news about private equity. So investment interest in mental health. I I, I could tell you years ago, if somebody would have told me that I never would have believed it. Because so, in, in the in the States, it's always been a publicly funded system with the exception of private psychiatrists. So one of the biggest interest in private equity healthcare investment now is mental health care or behavioral health care. So we were very fortunate after some very, uh, you um detailed discussions to be partnered with Quartet Health. They, they have some very astute investors on their board. Uh, we're thrilled to be part of them now. Uh, mm. And their mission and goal is perfectly aligned with us. So what we always said when we started this company, if we do that kind of partnership, what's more important than the money is the mission. And yeah. I'm pleased to say that Quartet Health is perfectly aligned. Their fundamental laser-focused mission is timely access to care. And we are working every day now to establish that. Their um, their investment in us and their partnership in us, in you know, Novotel, will really expedite us to that goal much quicker than we would have been able to have done it on our own. So I, I can't say how thrilled we are about this recent event, of course.
0: So let's get to the really important stuff. If somebody in the continental USA or is it Hawaii and Alaska as well, is it anywhere in the USA, if they want to connect with your service, how do they do it and what are the requirements?
1: Perfect question. So currently our platform is we work exclusively with clinics that need our help. So you know, there's a, uh, again, we're in 30 states now growing quickly. We do have a clinician in a, in Hawaii, I'm pleased to say, but she also <laughs> actually, she, believe it or not, she, she's an amazing woman. She lives in Hawaii and all her patients are in Ohio. <laughs> so she gets up real early in the morning <laughs> Yeah, and, and has a full day. Uh, so our goal again is to be in all states. We do have plans to, establish what we call a virtual clinic where Mm -hmm. we will begin to see patients directly in our own virtual clinic Um, that will probably uh, go live sometime this summer and then grow from there to hopefully a national footprint.
0: So if I right now
1: they would have to go into our clinics.
0: Yeah. So if, if I'm a clinician and I haven't connected Mm -hmm. with you, if I have a clinic what do I need to do to become part of your sphere of influence?
1: Now, that's a perfect question. I'm glad you asked it. So if they just go to our website, anovatel.com, that's I-N-N-O-V-A-T-E-L.com, uh, they can just click on that. There's a form to fill out. We've got some tremendous staff that will get back to them immediately, I can assure you, and they will ask them what their needs are. How can we help you? And they will begin in earnest to work with them to find the clinician or clinicians that they need. And that literally happens every day now. Um, We've got uh, a large number of contracts that we're working right on literally as we speak to get clinicians licensed properly and put in place there. But we, um, we have a desire to be significantly larger than we are now, of course. Mm-hmm. so that would be the easiest way is just to go to our website and i can assure you um, someone will get back to them very quickly if i would hope same day mm. um, if not tell them my name and the numbers on the website please tell them to call me but i'm pretty sure, sure our team will get back to them.
0: <laughs> mate um you have been in so incredibly generous with your time today I could honestly talk to you for hours and hours and hours about the history of psychology, how uh, the good people in the 60s and 70s all closed down the the mental hospitals and then created this vacuum of care. There's so many Uh things that I'd love to talk to you about, but I want to give you the final word today. As a clinician, as somebody that's been in this field for many, many years, What is your best piece of advice for somebody that's experiencing mental illness? What's the best first piece of advice you could give them?
1: Well, I I just go back, and I I want to strongly reinforce this. I've mentioned it already, but um, is to call for care. Uh, Treatment works. It's effective. You will feel better. You You won't feel as bad as you do right now. And you know, aside from Inovatel, there are many other platforms that do direct care to consumers as we speak. Uh, there's a number of them online, if they need therapy, there's a number of, of well-positioned colleagues. They're competitors, but they're colleagues of ours in the field that will provide direct care in your home. So I would, what I would say is don't delay, call, get help, you'll feel better. And, and the, the data is there, not just from our experience, but all the research data supports that.
0: One question that somebody asked me the other day is, how does a person know that they are suffering a mental health crisis, or Mm -hmm. in fact, suffering mental health? So I was speaking to somebody with uh, schizoaffective disorder, and for a long Mm -hmm. time, they didn't know that anything was wrong with them. Is it better for somebody... Is it better for sorry, my question ahead. is is it better for somebody to reach out and find out that their worst fears aren't justified or is it better to just be quiet and hope it goes away?
1: Oh no 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 the first option the first option's always better i I, I think people know essentially um, that that they have a need to talk with somebody and, and have things sorted out I, I think denial is a powerful defense mechanism for all of us in many different ways. You know, some of us don't exercise enough. Some of us eat too much. Some of us don't take good care of our health. Uh, and you know, um, and some people smoke and they know it's bad for them, but that defense mechanism yeah, helps us deny that that's at the time. So I would encourage people that they pretty much know themselves well. So, but if there is a pattern that's different from their usual way of being, um sleep or appetite disturbances things in in general life they don't feel positive about they have no enjoyment uh, or if they're having significant anxiety and they don't they're fearful of going places or if they have disturbing thoughts that um really frighten them all those are kind of prime symptoms and of course if you feel as if life is not worth living that's critical all those issues can be easily resolved quickly if you get help
0: I love that easily and quickly, because I think another one of the big hindrances is that self-stigma. Like as a society, we generally don't look down on people because they have a mental illness, but as soon as it is personalized, as soon as it's directed to an individual, we're so often willing to say, it's, it's just weakness, I'm going to get over it. It's yeah. it's something I don't need to. It's I just need to toughen up. I need a spoonful of cement, and I need to toughen up.
1: Mm-hmm. I, I think you're right. I think, to be fair to those individuals, there's a, there was a great deal of societal messaging to that point historically. You know, to, to kind of pull up your bootstraps and toughen up. You're right. Um, there, there actually, there there is no. It's not a sign of weakness at all to need help. Again, let's go back to. Some of those elite Olympic athletes, gold medalists, uh, um, the swimmer that has more gold medals than anyone else in history is very open about his treatment for depression. Uh, You know, recent tennis players, basketball players. So uh, the issue is it's part of normal living. And I can share with you some of the better PhD psychology programs now require finally your candidates to go through a year of therapy to obtain their degree, recognizing it's, it's actually healthy for all of us to talk to somebody. So it's like getting a physical. You know, to have your, phys- your, your physical health kind of up to date and tuned up, you go and you see your primary care physician and you make sure that all your blood work and your other data is up to speed. And sometimes you need a tune-up. Um, I, you know, I've had a chance to um, uh, pre- co-present with Patrick Kennedy a number of times and he's a huge advocate. And I just love the way he puts this. He goes into this, He's a great orator, just like the whole Kennedy family. So he has the crowd, you know, and he's really talking to them. They're, you know, they're really listening to him. And he said, you know, medical science has really found out this astonishing thing. And he, he goes into about 10 minutes of it, which I'll spare you. But he said, in the end, they've realized that the brain is connected to the rest of the body and all the major organ systems. <laughs> and, you know, it's so true. Even in, me- in medicine, historically, psychiatry was put off to the side. Yeah, But that's the computer that runs everything else, isn't it?
0: Yeah, it is. Look, John, uh, again, as I said, mate, this has been an absolute joy. I'm blown away by how approachable and friendly and comfortable I've felt with you. I'm sure that any clinicians out there that are wanting to do the best for their clientele, for their patients, uh, reaching out to a Novotel would be a a no-brainer as as far as I can see but John thank you so much for your time today mate it has been brilliant talking to you thank you
1: oh well thank you as well and listen, yes we'd we'd welcome clinicians that would like to join us but listen someday I'd love to come to Australia it's always been a dream of mine never achieved it but uh, I've always been fascinated by the country and would just be thrilled to get
0: there someday all right mate well it's been wonderful talking to you thank you so much for your time and thank you Thank you for listening to Shattered the Podcast. I'd like to thank our producer, Meredith Brosnan, our executive producer, Torian Lau, and the band Adelaide for allowing us to use their song as our theme. Go to shatteredthepodcast.com for more information.